Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bolt Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. So we just did our giveaway for the quarter. Um, that's posted up on Instagram. Uh, so a lot of the winners I've reached out to, uh, but there are some uh, that I'm still getting all the stuff worked out. So there's a few of them. Still need to reach out to, um, so if you are a Patreon and uh, you haven't seen that yet, go check it out, see if you won. I uh, had my daughter draw them all for you, so uh, it was fun. Good talk, talked a little bit about the Patreon hunt. Uh, working on that draft, going to get that out uh, probably tonight. Um, I think I'm going to get that uh, taken care of for you. And we're going to start working on that, get get up to our, uh, get a date for the Zoom meeting so we can figure out who's coming uh, what we're staying in, all that stuff. Uh, really excited and, uh, hope to see, um, you know, just as many people as we did last year and, uh, maybe put another, another racked buck on the ground. That's my, uh, that's my goal for this year is, uh, going to be two racked bucks in camp. So five deer last year, uh, one racked buck and, uh, hoping for, uh, doubling that success and uh, just as many laughs, smiles, all that stuff. But welcome back to a couple of different uh, Patreons, TJ uh, Recipco and uh, Blake Bettendorf. Uh, a little hiatus, but I think maybe with the season coming up, people are starting to pop back in. Tyler came back to the uh, Patreon uh, Marco Polo group, and uh, that community is still rolling. So uh, thanks to all you guys for that, for the support. Uh, this quarter, uh, you know, more quarterly giveaways from... Our friends at Huntworth, Latitude, Kanadi Arrow, Zinger Fletchings, Lucky Buck, Vitalize Seed, Genesis 3D, Big Shot Targets, uh, Spartan Forge. Um, can't thank them enough uh, for letting us do this stuff. You know, Latitude, Genesis 3D, 
Zinger, Kanadi, um, those guys are all going to be at the Mobile Hunting Expo. Uh, so definitely stop by uh, Spartan Forge as well. Uh, they're actually sponsoring uh, the Mobile Hunting Expo. So uh, stop by, tell those guys thank you. Uh, thank you for supporting our show. Um, you know, we really appreciate it. Um, and if you buy anything from them, let them know certainly that, uh, that you, you heard it here. So really, really appreciate it. This episode, man, it gets... It goes back to tack where I ran into uh, David Riley uh, sitting around drinking beer and walked in on a conversation. Um, and this is kind of like a continuation of that. But as always, because of where we're at right now, um, it gets into deer, deer scouting, deer tactics, all of that from your first deer perspective all the way to uh, locating gear that, uh, excuse me, locating deer that people say don't exist in Michigan. So super fun episode, super educational. Um, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. If you get a chance, check out our Patreon page, you know, Bowhunter Chronicles uh, podcast, just click on the, the Patreon link or patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. If you want to be part of the Patreon hunt, um, any of that stuff. And we do have uh, another hunt in the works. It seems like forever um, away Uh, but it's coming up quickly. Um, We're doing that spring bear hunt out in Montana with Tom. So uh, really looking forward to all of that. You can check that out, like I said, at the website. But uh, if not, just tell somebody about the episode. Tell somebody about the podcast. Um, I know you guys are going to enjoy this one. Thanks again. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, one of these deals where... I got another podcast host, podcast co-host, David Riley, uh, on the podcast, and we were up at TAC. Um, I think I met him in person last year at TAC and had some great conversations with him, and this year I happened to walk into a conversation he was having with uh, Greg Lissinger about hunting and goals and like just feeling happy or excited uh the way you were when you were a kid and he's like i wish i could have that again and i'm like why can't you um and we didn't really get to finish the conversation so i was like we need to come on here and do that and i do want to talk some summer scouting and stuff like that because i think david is a very high level like kind of like goal oriented hunter and uh, you can listen to any of their podcasts and you can tell that really quickly but i think for a lot of guys and i think it's for me it's taken like this five years of doing the podcast this is the first year of talking to all of these guys that I actually realized like what I was doing wrong and it's a whole nother game like if you've listened to this podcast or any hunting podcast say for the last two three four years or you've uh, dove into the content like like we have you have the tools and maybe you know how to implement them but I think it's the mindset I think it is having that what i called i think on the last podcast was obsession like flipping that switch and saying okay i need to stop doing what i was doing i need to put in this type of effort at this time whether that's the rut whether that's the early season whether that's the late season instead of just going and doing the same things that you've been doing and then trying to implement the things that david says the things that dan says the things that greg or jake bush say um, and I think that that's something that I want to dive into, uh, as well. But, uh, so how are you doing today, David? 
Man, I, I'm doing good. You know, we're uh, we're sitting here tonight. You know, we're going to talk a lot about white sail hunting and uh, white sail hunting here in Michigan, probably in particular. But we're just coming off a weekend. It's the middle of you know July here, so as much of us uh, white tail addicts as as we are, you know, velvet season is in full swing. You know, the cameras are out. We're out driving the roads a lot right now. So, I uh, dude, I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. How are you doing tonight, buddy? Not bad. You know, I'm. I don't got to work tomorrow, so it's just uh <laughs> just another day. My my life gets uh you know it's a little hectic, but it, it gets it gets easier every week. I think so. Uh, not a big big deal. Um, so for you, what is your backstory like? So when did you start hunting, and who introduced you to hunting, and and what was that style of hunting like? Man, that, that that's a great question, and uh, we will rewind it all the way back to when I was a very young age. You know, I come from that that story of growing up around hunting, uh, a heavy hunting heritage, basically. Um, I can remember back, you know, being eight, probably maybe even as young as six years old, eight years old, um, shooting a bow back then, and my grandpa, my grandpa is probably the number one influence that has brought me into hunting today. And then second to that was probably my uncle. And I look back, you know, we're the same age. So when we were growing up, you had to be 12 to bow hunt and you had to be 14 to gun hunt. But I can remember looking back now, I can remember being eight, nine, 10 years old. And basically my grandpa putting me through somewhat of his own hunter safety course like he was teaching me everything that i needed to know back then and i can remember going hunting with them i in in the days i didn't go hunting say if i was in school and it was after time change i can i can remember this so time change so that means that means it gets dark earlier i can remember coming home from school and remembering that grandpa was already out hunting and I would watch, I would watch from the window for the lights to come back up. And I know how many arrows my grandpa would take hunting. And as soon as he'd walk through the door, I'd count them to see if he had shot anything or if they were red. I can remember those days. So he was such a heavy influence at a young age. Well, <laughs> whether it's, whether it's, it's right or wrong. When I became 10 years old, I can remember, you know, going out during gun season with my grandpa. And back then, you couldn't even hunt from an elevated uh, stand with a gun. But I can remember grandpa being like, you know, well, if I, I may fall asleep, David. And if, uh, if I fall asleep and if you see a deer, go ahead and, go ahead and shoot it, you know. And, and he had taught me everything I needed to know about hunter safety being safe with that weapon. I mean, I was shooting a compound. I was shooting, I was shooting leagues before 10 years old, basically. And he got me hooked back at 10 years old. And, and back then it, it, it was, it was a buck buck, you know, and, and then by 12 years old, I, you know, I was taking hunter safety between 10 and 12. And by 12 years old, I was, I was archery hunting on my own. Like they, I can remember them dropping me off in homemade treated, you know, two by four tree stands with a melt crate for a seat. And I look back at those days, there, there was no safety harness on those things, but we were hunting. And 
I was actually thinking about this a while back that we cleaned out the storage room in the basement and I was look, going through these totes of deer racks and every deer rack I have, we always write the date on it. My grandma used to have the old Polaroid cameras that had like the white strip on the bottom and she'd write my name and the date uh, in the year I killed it, that, that animal. And from when I was 12 years old to about 26, you know, so you're talking, you know, 14-ish years, I almost killed two bucks every year during this time. You know, my, my grandpa taught me how to hunt. He taught me how to kill animals. Now, not particularly the mature bucks in our area, but he taught me how to hunt. You know, and we, I killed a lot of deer. I, was, I went on a lot of track jobs. Still to this day, I'm a terrible tracker. I have that red green colored line. I, I am, I am a terrible tracker. You know, like I, I joke around. I say that's why I have kids now, so they can track. You know, but I, I lived for it. I lived for when my grandpa, my uncle shot one, or the neighbor shot one, and we go tracking. Like I, I, I lived for going out there and putting up tree stands right before season. Like I loved all of that back then, and and there's a lot of things like they made. My grandparents made hunting season very important to me. Um, on weekends, they they went they go by like donuts on Saturday and Sundays, and I can remember hunting in the morning as a, as a kid, and I couldn't get up to the house fast enough mid morning because I knew there'd be a you know baker's dozen donuts sitting up there waiting, you know. So that's kind of my backstory of how I got into hunting. You know, I was very fortunate, very fortunate to grow up around that stuff. You know rabbit hunting squirrel hunting um hell i i can re even remember as a kid my uncle and i raising a uh, quail from like an incubator like the eggs you know inside of a house and, and building cages for them and releasing them because they taught me how important it was to give back to the land that we used um yeah it was i grew up around this stuff man it's it, ne it was never about hunting big deer though that, that was never the case you know always it was always fun when we shot something with a, you know more points but we lived in a good area of michigan where like you know we've we seen a lot of deer very fortunate enough to kill a lot of deer so you know basically from the age of 12 to you know 26 man i just i just hunted <laughs> i hunted and i filled a lot of tags and we had a lot of fun a lot of fun doing that so what was the style of hunting, you know, so now we're all these mobile hunting, public land, all this stuff. And, you know, there's, you know, some would say some animosity between public land guys and, and, uh, public guys. And then there's, um, also some, some mystique for some of these guys that hunted private and they want to go, you know, try their hand at, at public and, Honestly, I don't, I mean, I, I understand that hunting is hunting and it's all the same, but I think personally that there's a difference, um, in the, in the mindset. And I think that there are some public land hunters that think public land is, you know, that's their spot and they go to the same spot every year. And especially I would say more, more so for gun hunters. Um, but I think that that's been my experience growing up is that, you know, dad goes here, uncle Barry goes here, you know. Grandpa goes for a walk, Greg goes here, and that's your spot. And so we don't think about the wind, we don't think about any of the stuff, we just throw our guys out there, and you go to that spot every year because it's good, not necessarily 
or because it was good last year, it was good 10 years ago. Um, so what was your style of, of hunting and has it evolved or changed over the years? Man, uh, it's definitely changed. I mean, it, it is, it's changed hard big time, but you know, when I was a kid, I look back and I, I can remember we had like a, a handful of tree stands and then we had a handful of ground blinds because like I said, when we were kids, there was no gun hunting out of a tree. Like that, that wasn't, that wasn't even legal. So we always had these like places that we would gun hunt and they were always on, on the ground. But I look back at those places and it's like those, those gun blind spots were always the thickest places because I can remember like my grandpa would brush hog swamps, like shoot lanes into the swamps right before gun season. But when it came to bow hunting, man, we were, I was bow hunting from October 1 on right off the bat. I would shoot, I was shooting the first two bucks I could come across, you know, it, it always had to be, you know, my second buck tag had to be four more on one, on one side. And when I first started bow hunting, you know, you're talking back in, you know, basically 1997 kind of, like shooting bows wasn't a really popular thing back then. And I think even if I remember right, like getting those doe tags was, was tough to even get. So, you know, shooting the first two bucks was always very important to me. You know, like I, it didn't really matter what kind of bucks I shot as long as the one had four or more on one side. But the style of hunting honestly was, you know, we probably had three to five tree stands and I would just kind of get dropped off at one. And then they picked my grandpa picked me back up at dark. And a lot of times I can remember shooting deer, <laughs> Adam, I can remember shooting deer and then going to walking through the woods to go get my grandpa out of his tree stand and tell him like, Hey, I shot, we got to go. Like, I can remember like, I look back at like, I probably ruined, ruined so many of their hunts because I was like, shot the first deer that came by me. And then I'm going to go, go tell them because we need to go track, you know, but, um, but somewhere, somewhere around uh, 2010, 2011, I, uh, I actually traveled out of state. I went down to the southern Ohio, and I, I had been informed that a guy had told me that said, you know, if you ever want to shoot big bucks, that you, you basically have to leave Michigan. you got to go to other states. And Oh, okay, that kind of makes sense because I haven't really seen a whole lot of big bucks in Michigan growing up. You know, I've seen eight points and nine points and the occasional ten, but they'd never really that big. But they had a lot of points. That was always the thing as a kid is count the points, right? Like he's got eight points. Like man, that's that's as good as gold. I mean, not to get too sidetracked, but like I remember my my first eight point deer I ever shot. You know, my grandpa put in the newspaper, the local newspaper. Like it was, it's on the sports page. You know, like that was a big deal. But someone, like I said, uh, turned me on to, well, go out and see if you want to shoot bigger bucks. And it's okay. And I had my, my first daughter in 2008. And that same year, I decided to go down to Southern Ohio. And that is that was pre-Onyx. That was pre-MapNaps. I had uh, basically Google Earth, probably. That was about it. But I, w I drove down there in the summertime with me and another guy, and we stopped at the gas station about and bought a like county atlas book and kind of figured out we're like oh man there's public land here there's national forest here like well we'll just come down here hunt somewhere and i look back I look back at that hunt man and it's just like 
you know, I went down there with probably like a, a forty nine dollar, you know, big dog tree stand from Dunham's, which Dunham's is like a sporting goods store here in Michigan, and I ratchet strap like four or five, you know, five foot sections of the climbing sticks, and and uh, I could tell it was hilly, but when I drove down there, I didn't realize how hilly it was down there, and uh, I carried that shit all the way up on top of this ridge. And by the time I got up there, I said, well, I'm going to sit, I'm sitting here all week. I'm not carrying this stuff out here. It's, it's, it's a pile of junk. It's so heavy. I sat there all week, but I'll never forget. I seen, I seen one really big, big, big buck back then. Didn't shoot it. Not even close enough to shoot it, but left that trip going. Holy cow. There is, there's deer down in Ohio that are different. But then, so then the following fall, now my daughter's one. And now we're starting to toy the idea of buying a new house. And then I'm kind of realizing that, you know, this going on a state like that is probably not going to work again. But I, but seeing that one deer down in Ohio kind of like tripped my trigger. I was like, man, I, I would love to be able to hunt a little bit bigger deer like that. And so I talked to my grandpa, you know, I'm like, grandpa, and like, I told him about this deer and he says, well, I'm he said, there's, there's probably a deer like that around Michigan. I've seen them like that in my lifetime. I meant there isn't. I've never seen deer big like that in Michigan. My grandpa and I split money and we bought a trail camera. Okay. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone. And Vitalized Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. Vitalized Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The one-two system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at vitalizeseed.com. And we put the stroke camera out back, you know, they're running on D-cell batteries. No idea what we're doing. Just put it out there. And here's this buck. I'll never forget it. Never forget this deer. Here he is in velvet. Sometime in August, I look back, it's probably like a hundred 15 120 inch buck but when i got that picture i goes everyone that's told me there's not a big deer in michigan has lied to me because here one is and i have the opportunity to hunt them and from the minute basically someone told me that you can't kill big deer in michigan and then i got this picture and then in my mind i'm going you know what? i can't go out of state like this i got a newborn get a new house i got to figure out how to do this in michigan so in 2011, my entire thought changed of how to start hunting Michigan. I sold every tree stand I had, every ground blind. I got rid of everything. And I bought what I seen this guy using. And this guy comes from over by you, Adam. His name was Todd Pringnitz. Okay. He came from White Knuckle. And I talked to him one time in the, at a Lansing Deer Hunt show. And I was just, I asked him, what's that? I was watching his videos 
you know, even though his circumstances were different than mine, because he was in Iowa and I was in Michigan, but I said, what's on, why do you carry that tree stand on your back like that all the time? If you remember back in those early days of White Knuckle, he always had a tree stand, always had sticks on his back. And he told me, he said, David, he says, if you don't like the results you're having, you got to keep moving. And I was like, whoa, wait a second, what's that mean? And him and I had this long conversation of what that meant. And that is why I sold everything I had. And I, at that time, it was the off season. I went and bought a tree stand from one, you know, sporting goods store. And back then, I didn't have the money to go buy a four-pack of sticks. I bought one lone wolf, the 36-inch sticks, about one at a time to land four in the off-season. But during that time, I all of a sudden, I was starting to learn that people were, you know, like, they were doing the thing in the off-season. Like, they were walking around looking for deer signs. Well, I got to start doing that, too. And so I started scouting. And then I'm starting to go... The first time, and ironically enough, the first time I ever went out scouting in 2011, I found a shed in Michigan. Well, that happened to be a five-point side. It almost scored 70 inches as a five-point side. Still the biggest shed I ever found. You know, like I look back, it's just pure luck that I found it. But I'm like, okay, they're there. Listen, everything everyone's ever told me has been a lie. One of I got a big deer on camera last year. I found a giant shed. But here's a guy telling me that says, hey, if you don't like the results you're having, just keep moving. That's what I'm going to do. That, that's what I'm going to do. So that year, in the, you know, going from 2011 to 2012, I bought all that mobile hunting gear. And in that season, going into the 2012 season, I said, well, instead of one trail camera, I'm going to buy two. I buy two trail cameras and put them out. And now I'm learning a little bit more from the off-season putting the truck cameras off the food sources now. And in 2012, I made a pledge kind of to myself that I will never hunt the same tree twice. Now, that's not exactly what I would do today, but in 2012, that's what I told myself. And in 2012, I, doing that, on November 7th, I ended up killing, he's just shy of 140, a clean 10-point, heavy, long main beams, great brow tines, just didn't have the length. Like I said, just shy of 140, I killed him at nine yards, and I was hooked, dude. I was like, this is it. This is how I'm going to hunt from now on. Anyone that tells me that I, there's no big deer in Michigan, I found one, I'm going to shoot one. I shot him, I killed him. It's on the wall today. But you know, the funny part was, the first guy that ever told me that there's no big deer in Michigan, that year when I killed that buck in 2012, he told me that you can only do that every five years. So you know what that did? Dude, that, that lit a fire under my ass and off I went. To, you know, like, okay, I think I can prove him wrong again. He told me I can't find big bucks in Michigan. I did. He told me I can't kill a big buck, but once every five years, once I did it, I'm going to prove him wrong. And, and since then, I've, <laughs> that's, just, that's just been what I'm doing, man. So, yeah, in a long-winded way, you know, growing up from a you know, a hunting heritage. I, I really look back at those days that I think they, they helped me evolve being just, you know, a killer naturally, like, you know, having deer around me, being able to, you know, get the shots off, being able to control my emotions. And then about, you know, just over 10 years ago is when I made that, that switch to like, okay, I want to find that next caliber of animal in Michigan and, you know, hunt specific 
box per se, I guess you would say. So I've got a lot more questions about that and I, I love that. And that's kind of where I want to go with this, but I kind of want to walk it back just a little bit to the conversation that I walked in on when you mm-hmm. said there's one hunt or a series of hunts that you look forward to more than any other hunt every single year. And, and so what is that? And I, so when, when I talk about being a kid, I think that, you know, the conversation that we were having up at TAC is what the, is that when I was a kid, when I go, when I would go out hunting, it was like, I had tags in my pocket and I was like, there's a high probability I'm going to shoot something, right? Like that, there's a high chance. And today my hunting style is I, I hunt very confidently, like I don't get to hunt often. My, my hunting days are really slimmed down now between a busy work fa- or busy work life, a busy family life. Like they're really slimmed down. So even though I hunt confidently, like I expect to be able to have an opportunity when I go out, I'm also realistic that these big bucks in Michigan, they just don't come often. The reality is I get one a year. That's reality. So when I was a kid though, boy, when I had, when I had a tag in my pocket, probably not much was safe and that was fun so when i one of the funnest things now so i have two daughters and in both of them hunt both of them have been lucky enough to kill deer over the years that when i take them girls out hunting adam and i know that like if they see an animal you know they, they don't want to shoot a fawn i leave it up to them they, no matter what i think about a buck or doe or a fawn I leave those decisions up to those de- my daughters that when we go out hunting, like I said, outside of fawns, something's probably going to die. And that is so fun. <laughs> like, that is so fun. You know, like, the same as, like, my grandpa, to this day, you know, the one I've talked about in the stories, he's, you know, he's early 80s and still to this day hunts. He's going to go out November 15th and 16th and he's going to hunt all day until he gets his deer and like those are exciting to me because like I know that there's a high chance my phone's gonna go off if grandpa shoots one. Or if I take my daughters to go out, good chance that an arrow is gonna get released tonight. Are they gonna are they gonna miss? Don't know. Are they gonna are we tracking? Don't know. We're gonna find that out, but there's a high probability <laughs> that we're gonna have some action and, and those are the funnest hunts and uh I tell you what else I, I really enjoy. I, and this has been over the years, I've, I've really learned to love this, is, uh, I don't know about you, but, man, here in southern Michigan, like, the snow seems to be hit or miss in the in December nowadays, and you give me a doe, give me a doe tag in December, where, like, I've already killed my, you know, a good buck here in Michigan, and it's December, and we got a couple inches of snow, and I know there's a high probability of, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna let an arrow rip tonight at a doe, Man, I freaking love those hunts, dude. <laughs> I do, you know. But like I said, it, I, I'm realistic about the big buck thing. You know, I hunt confidently, but I'm also realistic that the, the opportunities, they just don't come that often here in Michigan. What David was saying is he said he gets so excited for his kids. He gets so excited uh, for his grandpa and, like, he wants him to shoot whatever just because he wants to share that experience. And, and he said he kind of... I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of like, I wish we could have that every time. And it's mm-hmm. like, my, my rebuttal was, why can't you? 
and I think that one of the things we do on these podcasts is we talk to these big buck hunters and we have these guys that go from, you know, you know, that listen and they take this information and they say, I'm going to go out and do that. I'm going to go out and learn it. But maybe they've never seen that 140. Maybe they've never killed a buck. And what we did last year with our, with our Patreon hunt and what I did the year before with like the kids, like my nieces and nephews and all of them, like going out tracking all that. Like when you were explaining, like when you were a little kid counting your grandpa's arrows, like watching it come back, like to me, there's no better, I don't know, feeling if you haven't harvested anything. So you're back from the hunt or you didn't get to go or whatever. You show up to camp late, but there's still guys out there and the hunt is never over until the last guy's back, you know? And that to me is, is what it's all about that, uh, you know, I haven't killed a bunch of big bucks. I haven't, um, made a name for myself as far as being a great bow hunter. But I think that that's where we, like I said at the beginning, like where, where I've missed the, missed the mark is, is saying, well, I need to, I need to change up what I'm doing and I've changed up what I'm doing, but I'm doing it like 95, 85% the same way. And I'm not like really, really going hard and, and messing it up, you know, messing up some things to, to actually figure out what works and what doesn't you out and you think, well, I didn't see anything. There was nothing there. And, you know, as you found out, that's not true. And I mean, also I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but what a great like story about Todd and, you know, getting to talk with him when we had him on the podcast and talked with him and talked to him in the ADA, you know, he used to hunt up where Frank hunted up and he hunted with mm-hmm. uh, some of my friends, um, family up there and and so they're on the they're on the white knuckle staff and all that stuff so he was like no way you know those guys and and what a small world but but honestly like what a great you know uh conversation to have with a guy like that right oh man i I, i'll tell you what adam you know it is i don't you know i I look at today's world and i i know a lot of guys look up to other guys and they you know kind of praise the ground they they walk on you know but man i Todd, Todd is the single reason, Adam, that I ever got into mobile hunting. I mean, it, he, it truly is because it's like, you know, you look back to, you know, like those early 2000s, you know, in, in my case, it was right around 2011, 2012. And it's like, you know, even the mobile hunting gear that's is, is leaps and bounds to where it was. But back then, like there was one choice. There was you know, the Lone Wolf Assault 2 with, with four sticks, you know, like, the, but like Todd, like he had all that stuff dialed. Like, I, I just felt like Todd was silencing his gear before anyone else was ever doing that. Like, I just, and, you know, he was so open about sharing it. You know, like, you, you, if anyone ever gets a chance, go on YouTube and look back at the white knuckle stuff from seven, eight years ago. Now, is it, does it look like today's stuff? No, it doesn't. But this guy was, he was literally mobile hunting years and years ahead of anyone else. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were talking about it before it was kind of cool kind of thing, you know, but I just, like I said, when he told me that 
that simple line. If you don't like the success you're having, then you got to keep moving. And I just, I was just like, I'm going to take that and run with it. I'm, I'm going to buy a tree stand and put it on my back just like this guy is. And I don't know about you, Adam, but I, I talk about this with my buddies a lot. And it, there's just something about, like, when you talk to someone that's also from Michigan. And like I said, I know Todd moved to Iowa. His circumstances in Iowa are a lot different than mine in Michigan. But he grew up in Michigan. He knew, he knew what I felt. And he knew the circumstances I was dealing with. So when I talked to him, he took the time to talk to me about it, man. It just it struck a chord with me. I, I just I just ran with it, dude. I, I took that philosophy and I ran with it. That's all I did. So I want to take that and kind of fast forward because I, I guess, you know, very selfishly, it's kind of where I'm at now. But when you're... Uh, say, say that same scenario happens today and you get that buck that you want on trail camera. So I'll give you an example. There's a spot that I've hunted a handful of times. I found it. It sucks to get into. Like there's, you know, one or two guys on my trail camera every year, but like the amount of people that are actually going out there, not very many and the odds that they're going to be there the day that I am, but there's bucks there. And I know that they get pushed there. I know that they bed somewhere around there i found a couple beds but i haven't like completely dialed it in but i've had cameras mm -hmm. there enough to know that there's bucks and bucks that i would like to kill there you know they may they may be, be uh the david riley hey it's got four on one side type bucks like from that from that era but it's like hey it's proof of concept like i walked into the spot i put a camera here made a little mock scrape it rained two days later i had three different bucks on that scrape and they were all you know, racked animals, right? So to me, that's saying, okay, now I know that there's a deer in that area. And in the past, what I would do is I would just be like, okay, neat. And I've talked about this, you know, long ago with a lot of times with trail cam guys, it's like, are you a, a trail cam enthusiast where you just like to get these night pictures or are you using that information and how are you using that information? So let's pretend that one of these bucks is, you know, one that you're like, oh, that's definitely a shooter. He's one that I want to kill. You just have the one camera in there. What are you doing next? Like, how are you, how are you making a plan for that spot, that area, that deer? Okay, so let, let's break it down like this. This deer that shows up, is he a, a do I want to shoot him this year or the following year? Oh, I, I think for me and for a lot of the, the listeners, you know, we're kind of in the same boat. So it's going to be like a deer that you're going to shoot this year. Like you went out there, okay. you've had, you've had deer there in the past that are like, Oh, these are good bucks. You put a trail camera out there and boom, you've got shooters this year. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a big, really, really big believer in three to four day windows. And this would be my guess. If you were telling me this exact scenario, or if I'm putting myself in this exact scenario, I already, I put that trail camera there for a reason, okay? All my trail camera locations are pretty much pre-scouted. Like, I'm not just going out in the summertime and just randomly picking five different locations and put them. Like, these are all pre-scouted. So, if my camera's already there, it's probably there for a reason. But if it's there, it's most likely already been there for two years. And why it's going to be there for that second year and even moving forward is if it's good enough first year, I'll put it back a second year. But the first year, say let's say the year before, 
I'm looking for a three to four day windows. Now there may be two or three of those throughout the year, but when I that trail camera is there because I believe that sometime in that season I'm gonna find a two to three to four day window, and that is when I need to capitalize. Now, me personally, I have a I have a big catalog of spots like that. So the key is for me with that buck right there is once he let's say once he shows up and you have instant intel. Let's just say it's a cell camera and he shows up and it's it's October 14th. In my opinion, for the 14th, 15th, and 16th, maybe even the 14th through 19th, maybe it could be a five-day window. But you have a really, really short window right there that he can be killed in or around that area. But I'm going to let my scouting that I've done in the postseason tell me where I need to kill that animal. That's why that camera is also there for a reason, because my scouting has put that camera in that exact location. That That's how, that's most of the time, like if I, if I have a buck show up on camera, I should have done my homework before that camera was even placed there. The camera's just telling me when he showed up and I expect him to be there in a very short window time frame. Now, that, like, let's just say this is an SD card camera. And now, you, you, you know, you checked it and this was two weeks ago. Well, guess what? You're, you're two weeks behind at this point. But what you can do is catalog that information, catalog that time window. And even though it sucks that you're two weeks behind, it's, pretty, it's probably not going to pay off. You can read the sign that's in there, put that in your back pocket, moving forward to that next season. So let's, that's, that's kind of the scenario that I've got. Um, I, I had deer on this community scrape and I went out to the community scrape this year and it was just wasn't there. Like for whatever reason, I don't know what changed. Um, last year there were no acorns, so the deer moved differently in the area, but they were still there this same area. So when I went out there to scout, to put the camera out there, same as I did last year, the scrape wasn't opened up. There wasn't a bunch of deer travel. So I just found a land bridge where I knew that the deer were going to be moving because I just wanted to make sure that there were still deer in the area that I wanted to kill. But what I'm saying is kind of like go back to that 2012 hunt and you, you're on trail camera number two and you got this big buck and you're like, you know, cause I think that that's more what guys are, or realistic scenario for for a, a guy that's just learning or something like that so do you just mail it in and say well i guess i'm not I'm just gonna not kill anything this year and uh you know put out all these trail cameras and next year is gonna be my year okay so we're <clears throat> i want to hit on two things we're, we're gonna hit on let's hit on the, the 2012 buck and then let's circle back to your scrapes i guess I, i've got some questions and I, i'd love to hit on that so the 2012 buck um, that I, that's hanging on my wall today. I actually did have him on camera in the summertime, and he's probably about half a mile, honestly, from where I killed him. Now, even back in 2012, I, that that exact hunt is one of the reasons I'm such a three to four day window believer. Is I had a, about a four day window to hunt, so I'm guessing it was probably like a you know a Friday to Monday. No, because I killed on a Tuesday, so it was probably like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday kind of thing. And in 2012, what happened is I seen him day two of my little four-day like vacation window I could hunt. I say I seen him on day two, moved in a little closer. I seen him on day three, moved in even a little bit closer, 
moved in on day four, and then I killed him that day. But that choke, honestly, like, I look back at that choke cam picture, that was my choke camera, uh, like, philosophy back then was just, like, a straight inventory kind of thing. Like, I, they weren't on scrapes. They were just a straight summer food source inventory kind of thing, you know. But, but you know, even, let's take the choke camera away from it. For a guy that's kind of maybe just getting into mobile hunting, or even the guy that's been in on a while, guys, I'm telling you what, if you can get on a deer, let's say you have, like I said, four days off of work or home life or whatever, maybe you're on you're on the road for four days. I mean, I think a lot of you you hear a lot of like Andy May stories, these four day hunts where it's like, man, you get on a deer like day one or two, boy, day three or four, like you're like man, your odds are up because one, you've already you've already seen them, you've located them, and as long as he's not a mile away in the rut you you have a damn good chance at this animal you know but the the scrape that you just talked about adam that you just went check are you talking about you just went and checked it this summer mm-hmm. and the scrape was was the scrape really active or was it pretty dead last year because you said there was no acorns in there last year last year it was it was so i walked in there i think like three years ago and it was really active and then it was mm-hmm. active all the way through the year. So then I went back out there, put a uh, SD camera on there, went back and pulled it. And I was like, oh my God, this thing is wild. So the next year I went back like this time of year, put up a camera, scrape was still active, you know, licking branch, really, really active. Pictures on it all the way through. And like, there's two, three day windows that I know, like that area right there is like, from what you're saying and some of that is like a little bit of like um uh after after dark you know so it wasn't like daylight pictures but that area was super active so you'd have to figure out where they were at and so i went back in same time this year and nothing i mean not no tracks no no anything and last year um we had really bad gypsy moss up there so there was no acorns there was no anything happening up on that ridge there was a scrape down a little bit further um, in a in a saddle, but the, the it, it kind of shifted. So when I went back out there to set the camera this year, there was nothing. So I just kind of made a loop and then found where the deer were moving. What so I was just trying to get inventory of like what deer were out there, and then boom, I've got these bucks on there. So validating proof of concept, but it's different than what I had the last two years. So let me ask you this. Without the acorns last year, does that make you excited for this year, or are you are you worried about this year? No, I'm excited. I think that there's going to be there's going to be acorns somewhere right there, and it's just a matter mm-hmm. of which of these pockets is going to have the acorns. Um, but I was I was fully expecting to be like the first year that I went out there uh, to check the camera, like did like a scout hunt in there. I mean, it was just raining down acorns. And it was, you know, it was what you would hope for, but different scenario last year, nothing. So I'm thinking this year, there's got to be acorns somewhere around there. So like as much as going out there right now and, and, and not seeing that, that scrape being productive can be like a little down And this is how I would actually look at it is you have historical data from a good acorn ear and you have historical data from a bad acorn ear and if it should produce this year 
even though it may be dead right now, you may have to play the long game in there. Or like, let's just say you're in there right now, and if you're not trying to just get summer inventory, that would have been like a really good place for me to put a to put a camera because it's like, yeah, even though I know I, I'm not going to get pictures right now, I've got historical data of acorns. I got no acorns. If we're back on an acorn rotation, it may not be hot right now because they they don't have a reason to be in here right now. But come velvet shed and acorn drop, this place may heat right back up, you know, because that that that's a tough part of like a scrape that's in a, you know like let's just say if it's a scrape that has to do with a, a soft mass food in my opinion that uh, you know you're trying to guys are, we're trying to build historical data but a lot of that historical data can be so driven upon the food in the area the same as like think about this if you went out scouting in like this last january and february and there's no acorns in there last year, but you've seen old historic sign from years past in there, right? You would go, man, this at one time this place was torn up. Well, if you stop to think about it, you go, well, there's oak trees here, and it's old. There's nothing fresh, so that means that there's probably no food in here last year. But the sign tells tells me it's two years old, so this upcoming year. It could be dynamite in there where it's like, yeah, you got to, you know, as much as that sign reads old in there, it's because of the food that's in there and you got to use that moving forward. So that place could be, it could light right up, but it may not light right. That scrape might not take off until velvet shed, until those, you know, if, if they're red acorns or white, hopefully whites, but I'm guessing they're, here in Michigan, they're probably reds that once will start dropping, then that scrape may, you know, that it may light up, and as much as we would love to have those pictures right now, gotta play the long game. Gotta play the long game right now because it may become a lot better September and October in there. So then, as you're glassing these fields and you're getting this inventory, um, say on new spots or spots that you haven't hunted, when you're trying to, you know, so, so let's say you're you're driving around. There's a spot that you wanted to check. You glass the field. Big buck in there, right? what are you what's your next step you, you know there's okay. public around yeah yeah okay let, let's uh let's let's do this because i'm i'm dealing with this exact scenario uh this last three days um really r really good deer for michigan really good deer um there is no public ground so we're just dealing with private but for the for the sake of the listeners let's add in some public that's let's say the public's two miles away okay um, first thing I'm doing is, you know, we're, we're going to, one, I'm, I'm watching the deer when I, when I locate them, I want to watch, I'm going to watch them till dark, or if it's in the morning, I'm going to watch them to wherever they go back in. Okay. Um, that's, I'm going to start driving, but that's what I like to do. I like to drive the next two to three to maybe sometimes four square miles. Cause here in Michigan, we get a lot of, like most of our roads are broken by square miles and a lot of times when I find located here, I may not be able to get permission per se on that exact square mile, but maybe I can get one on the adjoining square mile. So then what I'm going to do, and I'm, this, this is no bullshit. This is what I've been doing the last two days. Um, I've been striking out pretty bad, pretty bad lately. 
But I, I'll, I'll go out there and knock on every door in that square mile. And I don't care if you own two acres or if you own 200 acres. I just want to somehow get in the game of this deer. Because if I can locate one in the summertime, the one thing I've learned about the, the swamp ground and the ag ground in Michigan, if I can locate one on this square mile, the next two to three square miles, I can still possibly be in the game. When I can usually find one, I can usually find two. So what I'm doing is I'm, like I said, I'm going to watch that deer till it either goes back to bed or it gets dark. When I'll try to track every bit of that. Then I'm going to go knock on all the doors. Like I said, every anything that I can get permission on, I'm going to try. I don't care what size it is. But if, for instance, if there's two, if there's public land two miles away, three miles away, I'm going to put that in the back of my mind too. I'm going to start correlating on the map of how how close can I get to these deer? And, you know, the hope would be is, is to knock, you know, knock on someone's door and get permission. That seems to be getting harder and harder. There's no doubt about it. And especially, I've talked about this before, man, since all the, all the COVID stuff, and I get it, there are people's houses. I don't blame them one bit if they don't want to answer the door, but man, they just get someone to answer. used to be, knows now i just can't get people to answer the door and i don't know if they're just worried about talking to someone or whatever the case may be since covid but that that really seems to be the case but um let's just say i can't get permission on anything at all and i i'm i'm going to go find a spot hopefully find one good spot in public that i think maybe just maybe that deer let's if he's two miles away if he works his way this year or that far that maybe he'll come across. And the best case scenario for that situation would be is that when I found one, that I found a big bachelor group in the summertime because if, if I can find four or five, I know they're going to disperse. And maybe one of them will work their way over there. But let's also play this situation. Maybe I do get permission. And if right now it's, it's in the middle of July, I will go tear that whole place apart. Because if I can go find, let's just say, if I get permission on 80 acres, Somewhere in the 80 acres is a good spot, in my opinion. There, in, inside that good spot, it's my job to find that good spot in there. And then it's my job to find out when that spot is good. Hence, earlier in our conversation, that three to four day window. That's that's a catalog that I'm always continuously building. Bunch of spots and rotating through them as each window opens up across all of them. But that would be... That would be that would be my situation, but unfortunately, the one that I'm talking about right now that's happening currently in my life, no public nearby, and boy, am I striking out, and it's a bummer, because these are, uh, this is a, a very, very nice group of bucks here in Michigan. So where do you stand with with that on that, um, I don't know if it's Dan Infault, or I think it, Jake Bush probably has the the most... Um, I guess I would say laissez-faire attitude toward these bucks um, by saying, well, let's just go find another one that's easier to kill or that wants to be killed. You know, so do you get fixated like that buck's, you know, buck of a lifetime, double drop tying, you're doing everything you can to do it? Or at what point do you say, you know, maybe I need to go find one that I can kill a little bit easier? So I, I've actually had two um, two seasons I can think back at that both you know play into the exact scenario. Um, 
you know, earlier we talked about 2012 when I, I, I killed my very first, you know, what I called, you know, really big buck here in Michigan. And then the 2013 season, um, you know, I found a deer in the summertime and I'll be honest, I thought I, you know, since I, I killed one in 2012 and I thought I could just easily, you know, rinse and repeat exactly what I did just to, a, it was on a totally different piece of property. I was like, well, let's do the same thing. I'll just keep moving until I kill this thing. Well, little did, little did I know that that deer actually died even before season started. Um, I, my, my best, one of my best friends found them after the season. I, I brought him out shed hunting and we found him. So he, he's on the wall today, but I spent an entire season chasing deer that was never even alive. I look back at that, that over the last, um, you know, 10, 12 years, it's the only season I haven't killed one. I look back and I always thought I wouldn't do that. Always thought I wouldn't ever do that again, chase this one particular buck. But then in 2021, uh, I came across a deer that, I, that changed my mind that I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this again. But this time it was different because two things. One, I had a, I was keeping close tabs on this deer. Like I was, you know, getting those pictures, a lot of intel on this deer. I was close on his heels pretty much throughout the season. But the second part of that was <laughs> there was another deer on the property that I would happily shoot. Now, he wasn't the caliber of the deer that I was after that I eventually killed. But there was a, another deer that I would be very happy with. So getting fixate, fixated on, on one particular deer is, you know, it's tough because in, in, the, in, in a way, I believe that those seasons can teach you the most. Like one particular deer, learning everything about him can teach you a lot. But it teaches you a lot about that one particular buck. Because all these bucks are so such an individual animal. They have a lot of uh, tendencies that, that are the same. But there's such an individual personality where it's like, yeah, you can learn a lot about one. But it doesn't mean it's going to be just like that with the other one. So I don't get too fixated on one particular animal most seasons. I like I like having a catalog. I mean, realistically, here in Michigan, I want five to ten five to ten targets. Like that that's realistic, you know. And I like areas that I have more than one target in that area or on that property or on that piece of public land or in that square mile. Like I, I that's what I. That's what I really like to see going into a season. So from that same scenario, and this is one thing that I find very interesting um, with some of the higher level guys, is what is your, uh, be, being a very busy guy and you know prioritizing big bucks and family time and you've got to work, all of these things, what is your birth? Like, so how far is a normal hunt for you or how far is too far? Well, it's some, man, it's in, in general, I keep things within a couple of counties of reach here in Michigan. That, that's usually the case. Um, naturally, I'm covering five counties at all times. My eyes are on five counties at all times. And it's a lot of times, you know, generally here in Michigan, like I was talking to someone about this the other day, that. It takes me about every four to five years to turn up a deer of 150 or bigger and be able to hunt him. Not just see him, 
but turn one up and be able to like, yeah, I can hunt, I can have, I have permission on that property or whether it's on public or wherever the case may be. I'm trying to narrow that, that those years down. I don't want four or five. I like it to start turning them up in two to three. And I'm working, I've been working hard at that, but naturally when I'm covering five counties, man, I mean, you kind of know how it is here in Michigan. It seems like I can go to four or five counties. And even though I may find one three counties away, I may have one, you know, one county away that's kind of the same size, you know. So, um, naturally, man, I like to keep it within an hour. That That's kind of realistic for me. And also that keeps it realistic for scouting, too. Because if I'm going to go two counties away to scout, I need a day. And most of the time, like I hear people ask me, they say, man, you seem to scout a lot. I do, but my time, my windows are short. Two to three to four hour windows if I'm getting. So my whitetail hunting is the same. You know, like, you know, say if my daughters, you know, they, I have to take them out to dance class, you know, a county away. Well, it's to my benefit to go find land in that county where I can go be a dad, do my responsibilities and try to be able to hunt too. Like that's, so it's, there is, there is no like a hard, you know, like say drive time window on it. But if I had to give it like a reasonable time window, it, it'd be within an hour. I try to keep it. So if you were going to give guys that were already down this mobile hunting path, but haven't had the success that they wanted on, um, let's say three-year-old deer how what would your advice to them be and how would it differ from the way that you approach things or the way that you laid things out well I, i'll tell you that this is one thing i look back on and I, that's a, such a great question adam because i look back on this and not that i regret it at all but one of the biggest problems i i found with myself two things one i had fomo so bad when i decided to start big buck hunting and it put a bad taste in my family's mouth i i i felt like i needed to be out there all the time okay because because i seen what everyone else was doing I oh my god i go i go scouting i can't miss a day of hunting if i'm going to shoot a big buck because in, in my mind you know the opportunities opportunities in michigan they only come once a year so i, I cannot miss that one don't don't be like that do, do not have fomo okay like sometimes less is more but the other thing I regret is I, I thought I had to be like someone else back in the day. I thought I had to, you know, I don't want to step on anyone's toes right here, but I thought I had to hunt one individual bed. That's what I thought had to be done. You know, like if I was on the hunting beast, I had to read everything that was on there and I had to do everything that they, they said. Or if I was on next buck outdoors, I had to do everything just like they said. Or you don't have to do that. You know, the same as listening to today's podcast, you know, you can listen to, you know, myself or yourself, but you don't have to be just like myself or Adam today. Take some information that we talk about and apply it to your own situation. Okay. Your situation is not the same as my situation. The property on the north side of the road is different than the property on the south side of the road. Okay. So take this information that you hear, take it all, you know, you can take tidbits from every person, but apply it to your own situation. You know, whether it's scrape or the beds or the, or the food or a stage area, whatever the case may be, apply it to your own situation 
And at the end, you've got to trust your process. Because when you start second-guessing what you're doing, it, you're going to start second-guessing your hunting. You have to trust what you're doing. Because if everything you do in the off-season is going to depend, or not depend, but like everything you're doing during hunting season depends on what you did in the off-season. You have to trust that. The minute you start second-guessing that, then in my opinion, you start to hope hunt. And when you start to hope hunt, it's a bad situation to be in. You know, it's when you start second guessing yourself. So, yeah, my my big things that I would I would tell someone that these are lessons that I've learned the hard way, right? Like I, I always tell my kids, like it's never a mistake if you learn from them. So I'm not going to call these mistakes because I learn from these situations. You don't have to be someone else. You do not have to be just like someone else. You can take information from them, apply it to your situation. And trust your process. Build a build a process that you start finding things that work and don't work. Because even things that don't work is still information. It's still intel. Even bad intel is still intel. You do those two things and keep just keep going. And like Todd would say, if you don't like the success you're having, you gotta keep moving. That that's what I would say. So if you had very limited time, which somewhat you do and you can only hunt one thing. So you can hunt early season food, scrapes, rut, or late season food. And you had you had a four day window with you know limited intel, or I guess with all of the intel that you have, where is your best opportunities there? Okay, I I've killed a lot of bucks from the sixth. To the eighth of November, I've killed a lot. Okay, in here, and these are all Michigan. Everything I'm talking about today is going to be Michigan. Okay, I've killed a lot of bucks in that time frame. And ironically enough, I, I don't know why, but all the bucks, all the mature bucks I've ever killed in Michigan, they've all been solo. They've never had another deer with them. But the more I've studied mature bucks in Michigan, the more I've tracked them, the more I've studied trail camera information, the more I've scouted. If I had to pick a window now, Adam, okay, if I want to kill the biggest buck in a square mile in one of these counties that I'm hunting, you give me October 14th through 19th on the best scrape outside of some of the best bedding area in a square mile. I have some particular in mind. You give me that time frame. The first doll is going to come through there. She will pull the biggest buck out of that square mile, the best bedding, she's going to pull him out of there. They will both walk through the scrape. I've got I've got the information to prove it all on video for years now. It would, I get it, October 14th through 19th is not a popular answer. I, I don't know if anyone would pick it, but I've got spots that will prove the biggest deer, some of the biggest deer in these counties. <laughs> October 14th to 19th, buddy. If you want to kill something, you know, four and a half or older in Michigan, that's a deadly, deadly time if you have the right scrape outside of the right bedding area. Well, that's great because your first answer there, I was going to say, well, everybody is in the woods those days, whether it's, mm -hmm. I mean, and, and a lot of times I've got, I've got some really big bucks um, 
<laughs> on camera. My my wife's birthday is November eighth, so I'm usually okay. either out of state or like at breakfast, and I'll get a cell cam picture of like just a, two years in a row, just right down the road from the house on a little five acre piece of private that I can hunt. I've I've only seen you know a handful of deer there, but on her birthday, two different times I've seen just a monster. I mean, we're talking like a very massive, like eight or ten. Like I I couldn't sk- score deer, but you know it's a old massive deer and two years in a row oh, yeah. and i was like sitting there at breakfast like happy birthday honey i'm home <laughs> <laughs> adam just out of curiosity what's the biggest deer you've ever seen in michigan um well um so hunting or glassing just just the biggest buck you've ever seen in michigan uh, either or I saw one that was 40s, 50s last year, opening day. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, do you, like, you see him while you're hunting? Mm-hmm. I think, nice. I think uh, the next day uh, he may have jumped over my shoulder, as a matter of fact. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, I was hunting on the ground at this spot where there's ag that you can't hunt, and it was up against, uh, if you remember this, uh, this past year, there's a big east wind. So, it was weird. Mm-hmm. I had to set up in this CRP. And I set up for this buck movement, and uh, I had bucks walking in on me. I had deer walking in on me, but a couple of different bucks walk in on me um, in the dark, in the fog, all that stuff. And then as soon as it got first light, this 40s, 50s buck walked right out of that ditch and walked 90 yards out in that bean field. I mean, perfectly parallel to me. I could see him through the binoculars. I could see him plain as day. And... Um, I saw 11 bucks that morning. I messed up on three, uh, 115 to 120 bucks. Um, the next day I moved to where most of those deer went through, which was right at this one bush, which is where I picked up on that buck. Well, the wind was still out of, it, it was out of the Southeast. So it was good for that spot where I was at. I got as close as I could. I should have actually walked in through the bean field because uh, two of those 115, 120s got my scent. They were about 40, 50 yards away. They got my ground scent, and they turned and took off uh, later in the day. But anyways, it was super windy, and I had deer walk right up to me and then spook out, and I heard some crunching around behind me and all this stuff. And then as soon as the, the wind shifted from east back, it, it actually swirled and went back from the north. A deer jumped through the bush, that I was in and that's exact. I mean, there's a big bed right behind it and that's right. But I didn't know that at the time I just walked in there and I think that that buck walked through the ditch or whatever that deer was walked through the ditch and was going to get in his bed. And then as soon as the winds switched, he was like, Oh my God. And jumped basically over my shoulder. Holy shit. It was wild. <laughs> so, I mean, I like to think it was the same deer, but that, I mean, it was, it was a big buck and then glassing yeah. on that same like piece of property. There's, there's bigger ones. There was a guy that claimed to have like a 160, 165 on camera. Um, I can send you a picture of one. So the first year I ever hunted that property, uh, it, it was, it was a thing that like sold me on like, we always hunted mobile, but it was like hunting like the wind scenarios. So my plan was to walk in this cornfield in the edge of this corn and get to this little middle woodlot. And, um, that I, I got in there where I had a climber and I couldn't get in any of the trees. I could have hunted out of a tree that was probably 
I would have been able to be like eight feet off the ground in on this ridge. Obviously, hindsight, I should have. And uh, I, I walked out like two more steps, and that deer was bedded on that ridge about sixty yards from me, and got up and took off. And he was like, he was like one thirties, like mid one thirties. The next year, I killed this little buck right here um, in the UP on the same day as my brothers came home for my wife's birthday. I killed that deer November 7th, came home for my wife's birthday. She had it all set up so that, uh, that I could hunt. All my stuff was still in the trailer. So I drove around and I saw a very similar buck to that one the next year. And he was out on his feet at about 11 o'clock and I didn't have any of my stuff or anything like that. Fast forward, a kid killed him, um, Thanksgiving day with a bow just stalking in a ditch and i got a picture of it and it's like 160 something so i mean yeah yeah so there's there's big deer right there but i so and i, I killed a, a 150 green scored 150 so i don't know what he ends up he's big but um down in ohio nice dude nice so yeah they're they're they're, they're just they just don't come every day in michigan like that man they just don't yeah, I mean, and I, I completely get, like, where these deer feel safe and, like, mm-hmm. ag and other things that give these deer, like, comfort. They have the genetics. They have the food. Um, it's it's pretty wild to, to see. And so, like, that, that property that I was hunting with all those big bucks, like, I killed this one and one that's probably this one's dad, like, from the year before. Um, or maybe two years before. Yeah, I killed I killed the other one in eighteen. I killed this one in twenty twenty, and okay. they're almost identical. But that was maybe five miles from where we're seeing all those big ones. So oh, sure. So yeah, yeah. I I've uh, I've been able to document you know with my own trail cameras uh, back in twenty nineteen. I, I documented one buck that traveled about straight line three and a half miles. So five miles isn't out of the question, man. It's 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 it i i think some of you know every everyone's such an individual right some of them have such small areas sometimes i think that they travel a lot farther than what we think they do yeah yeah i'll have to send you some i i've got a video of one and you you can score them but i thought it was (laughs) it was an area that i couldn't hunt and i was just driving around to see this was a december something and Mm -hmm. uh i drove past and there was a buck bedded down and it was so big that i thought it was like a dnr it was 20 yards off the road just bedded looking at the road and it was so big i thought it was like a dnr thing like it was like there's no way like a fake like a fake gear like they were trying to get so so i backed up and took some video with my phone and then there was one that was like probably a year younger, like one class lower that stood up right next to it. And then 16 deer stood up right there and took off. And it was like, Oh my God. I think there was like three bucks. The one was, I don't know. I'm I'm not good at scoring deer. That's going to be a problem. You know, when I go to Kansas, like Mm -hmm. trying to figure out like what to shoot. Um, but it it sounds like everybody's just, you know, shoot whatever makes you happy. And and that's definitely, but I don't want, I really don't want to not shoot a deer because I was waiting for 
you know, something that wasn't there, something that I hadn't seen yet, something like that, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. It's, it's, uh, it seems like a lot of us Michigan guys are really good scoring them up to like 130, 140. Then after that, it's like, hell, I don't know. He just looks big. <laughs> well, like when I go to Ohio, it's like Pope and Young is like what I'm mm-hmm. looking for. And, uh, I, the one I, the one I saw last year was huge. Um, in the dark, 15 yards, thrash and everything. And, uh, I thought I was going to kill him the next night. I 100% thought that he was dead, that he was going to do the exact same thing and uh, had coyotes come in on me right at the last second. And yeah. But I, I tell you, man, it, it's that's the wild thing about this game is that, you know, we can sit here, we, we can do all, talk about all the scouting we did in the offseason. We can be so good at running trail cameras. Our, our glassing can be on point. But this is a game that you can pour everything you have into it and it's still not pay out in the end because of a pack of coyotes, because of the neighbor, because of, you know, who knows, a squirrel, the wind shifts. Like, this is a game that, like, you can truly pour everything you have into it. It's going to up your odds, but it doesn't guarantee anything. That That's the wild part of it. Well, and I've been hunting, like, trail cameras, like, kind of like pattern deer and... You know, thinking that I'm doing everything right, and then I talk to somebody that's not in the same area, and they're like, "Oh, did you hear that deer got killed? Or did you hear that deer got hit by a car? Or two deer got hit? Like, I think three years ago, two deer got hit by a car, like right at the road where I was hunting." So it's like, "Yeah, oh, what are you gonna do?" Yeah, you go down to Ohio every year? No, I've been. We went for a few years, like thirteen. Or 14, I think we went 13, 14, 15, 16, and then I don't think we went 17, went elk hunting in 18, and then I think the next time we went to Ohio was last year. Yeah. Nice. Cool, so, I like it. But I've hunted, I think in the meantime there, I hunted Missouri, and uh, I elk hunted Colorado, and, and then Idaho also. So I've, in the mix there, I hunted... Colorado twice and Idaho for elk. So nice, man. A couple states out there then. Yeah, and when we were out there, I could have. Uh, I, you know, I, I hate. I absolutely hate that by saying like, "Oh, I could have shot this deer," uh, but I stalked in on like a nice hundred inch or basket rack eight point, and it was like totally. It was like exactly a total archery challenge shot. Super windy, and it was the last day. I got to like 35 yards and he was bedded like with, a, with branches in front of him and all this stuff. And I was trying to get to 20. Um, and I got, like I said, I got to like 32 yards and he got up and John was super pissed because he's like, Oh, it's just a, that's a total archery challenge shot. Super easy. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was one of those things where we had walked over a hundred miles at that point. It was, we were seven miles from the truck and we were going to, I was going to shoot this thing. And then if anything went wrong, it was the last day we were leaving in the morning, like driving the 34 hours home from Idaho. So the last thing I wanted to do was shoot this thing poorly seven miles from the truck and have it run away from the truck and then have to go in there. Um, but that, that was the first time out West and that really opened my eyes to actual, like public land hunting about like 
how small stuff is around here because I'd look at the map mm-hmm. out there and like this much was two miles, three miles, four miles. And so scouting around here, like, oh, I want to go check this out. And this much is 700 yards or something. It's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, well I can certainly go over there now, you know? Yeah. yeah like we talked about, like everything in Michigan's broke up in like square miles, honestly. Like it's, it's it, you know, as much as, you know, you hear guys talking about like, oh, you got to outwalk someone or this and that. And it's like, uh, at least in Southern Michigan, there's, there's nowhere to outwalk anymore. You know what I mean? There's, there's none of that, but you know, I, I tell you, Adam, speaking of a total archery challenge, man, I, I do, I do want to thank you for, uh, you know, you guys, I, I had never been to total archery challenge until last year. So the 2022, uh, tack event and what you guys, you know, the, the barbecue cookout afterwards party that you guys put on, man, it got me absolutely hooked to keep going up the, the tack, man, because it's, the shooting's fun, but the camaraderie is even better. That that I, you know, I brought my brother-in-law up from Colorado this year. He flew in for it. I'm like, dude, the shooting's fun, but like hanging out afterwards. I knew that you guys put on the, the barbecue and whatnot. Where I was like, that you got to check it all out. I I appreciate that you guys do that. Well, it's I mean I think it's just for us like it's it's an opportunity to you know uh, see our friends and and see our friends that we've never met. <laughs> you know um, that sort of thing and just mm-hmm. just kind of showcase what Michigan has to offer as far as like the hunting community. Um, yeah. And, you know, granted you, you can't have a, um, a closed door policy for that, but there's very rarely, you know, any animosity or anything. Everybody's there talking about bows, talking about hunting, talking about trips, talking about deer tactics. Um, and, it just doesn't really get any better than that. So it's almost like a deer camp in June, right? No, I did. <laughs> I totally agree with that. And it's, and that's that you nailed it too. It's like, you don't, you don't get to see these guys all the time, you know? So it's a lot of like, and it's in, you know, right around tack is we're all kind of ramping up for the, those, you know, the velvet season in Michigan. And we're just getting off a of scouting season. And even though we, you know, we all kind of know each other through say social media, it's still like, well, tell me about, tell me about your story from last fall or it's, I, you gotta love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the, one of the few events that, you know, like even like hunting shows and stuff are cool, but tax just, it's, it's just different, man. I, I, you know, last year was the first year I've ever went. So I've been to two now and I, I regret that I ever missed any of them back. Like, you know, when they're at Boyne and those days back, but uh, now that my, my brother-in-law came up to this one, now he's, He's on my, you know, on my asphalt going off to Colorado since he lives out there. He's like, well, let's go to that event. I was like, well, that's a whole different monster out there, bud. <laughs> right. So um, what do you got coming up for this season? Um, right now, you know, I, I don't think I got too much going on for uh, September outside of uh, the, the youth hunt. Um, both of my daughters, like I said, hunt. I don't know if my, my oldest daughter will hunt. Uh bringing up that actually makes me think about something we were talking about earlier in the conversation about the whole tracking thing that my oldest daughter now you know she's got some she's killed some deer um but i tell you what where she's so busy nowadays but she loves tracking dude and whenever an opportunity comes up to go track a deer like that girl wants to be at the front like she just loves it so even me talking about the stories about when i was a kid i still see that her today even though she may not love hunting as much she loves tracking but my youngest daughter um bailey so she's uh she's 
killed bucks the last two years. Um, she naturally has set a goal for herself. She, her first year, she killed a, a spike in velvet, which was really cool. And then last year, she killed the six points. So she wants to try to keep up in the, the point category. So we'll do that in September. Um, always make it a goal to kill a buck in October in Michigan. That's always that's always high on my list, especially open week. But then uh, Kansas, Kansas in November, and outside of that, man, it's that's all that's all that's on the docket this year. But you know, even though I say that's all, I'm I'm good with it because you know, usually for me, I'm always so happy to kill that that one big buck in Michigan, and my family allows me to put a lot of time into it in the off season. That when I do kill that that big, you know, usually when I do kill that real nice deer in Michigan. I don't put a lot of like emphasis on killing that using that second buck tag. I just never naturally have. Maybe this year I will, but probably not. Not with uh, the hopes of putting one down in Michigan and then leaving for Kansas in November. So um, usually ask uh, what's the bow setup, everything that you're that you're using. But I would like to also caveat that with: Do you remember from those back old days, like what your grandpa was shooting? Yeah, dude, I still have the boat today. It's uh, it's, a, it's an old XI. You know what that the that the old XI bows are? Uh-uh. Um, man, uh, yeah, I got it sitting back here in the storage room. It, it's an old XI. Uh, you know the, the old uh, Easton, you know aluminum arrows like the XX. I don't know what were they seventy fives or always the Thunderhead broadheads. That was always a setup. But I actually know my. My very first bow was a, it was all black. It was a Pearson. It was a Pearson bow. I was a youth bow, and not that I'm mad about it, but you know, I was taught a lesson back in the day that when I outgrew that bow to get a new bow, my grandpa had me take that into the local archery shop and trade it in to get money to get a new bow. I I really wish I was able to keep that bow. I really freaking wish I still had that, but. I also, you know, I also understood the lesson learned there that it meant like you go trade it in, you can get 150 bucks and you take the 150 bucks and put it towards the new boat. It's always been the concept, you know, so that was, uh, that was always, that was always kind of what it was like. But yeah, my very first bow was a Pearson, it was all black, you know, a youth bow. Man, I, and then from there I took over grandpa's old bow and it was an XI and and uh, the cams on it seem like they're about the size of a quarter. It looks like, <laughs> but uh, I, I still have it to this day. You know, uh, I remember it's got the old felt on the uh, by the arrow rest and just a giant grip on it. You know, but hunted and, and killed a lot of stuff with that. And then from there, I went to a, a bow tech, and uh, that was one the bow tech um, back when they did the. Uh, I don't know if it was like the Patriot line where they kind of you know the. Uh, 82nd Airborne line. They went went into all that. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And I had one. I had I had one. I think it was the Patriot, maybe back in there. And then from there, I went to the Elite Synergy. Really liked that bow. The Elite Synergy was a great bow. And then now from the Synergy, I went to the the Matthews VXR. And now I'm shooting a a, uh, Prime Rev X2, which I really like that bow a lot. That's that's a that's a really really good bow. And then what are you shooting for, uh, sights, rest, uh, arrow setup? Yep. So I, the rest, I got a Hamski. I got a hybrid Hunter Pro on there. Um, the arrows, I got the, the Method Archery, the ZMRs. I shoot the 350s. The, they're, they're a little bit on the lighter end. It's about 420 grains, but uh, 
it's kind of happy medium for me. I, I really like them. And uh, I, I do shoot the, the Helix um, FJ4 broadheads, a fixed blade. If I was to shoot an expandable, I, I've shot the Sever, the 1.5s, a little bit smaller one. And then uh, it's got the uh, ABB strings on it. And then I've been toying around with the, uh, the Garmin, the X, XI Pro site. I've been toying around with that. In the past, I've shot the HHA Tetra site on there, single. Well, I've been a single pin guy. I, I cannot, I can't mess around with a bunch of sites in my, you know, like the site house. Like my eyes just don't, they don't work that way. <laughs> sure, sure. So yeah, uh, if people want to follow along with you or they got questions or uh, they just want to reach out with you and say, hey man, I know what the XI is. I had one of those too. Or was it the Pearson? Was it the Pearson spoiler? We had a bunch of those laying around. Uh, what, was that what it was? <laughs> no, I, that, wasn't a youth, that wasn't a youth bow, but that's what... So Ernie used a Pearson spoiler forever. Then it got passed down to Chris. Chris killed his first two deer with it. Um, and Chris has never had a... Well, he did have one new bow, uh, but he just shoots hand-me-down stuff. So uh, Yeah, I should reach out to my old, you know, because the, the guy that I bought it from here at the local archery shop, he, they still own it, man. And hell, I, I tell you what, Adam, I even have, you know, the, the, you know, like the arm guard that, you know, like you put on your jacket to keep the jacket down. And when I first started learning to shoot, I, my grandpa made me learn with uh, fingers. So I still actually have a youth, finger, like a three-finger tab thing that I, I learned to shoot with, you know, that eventually learned to you know use a release years later but even then that release i look at now it looks like a freaking handgun almost you know what i mean or the way it looks you know but yeah if anyone wants to reach out to me it's uh you know mainly on instagram i don't do much on facebook it's uh d riley jr that's my instagram and then uh i also co-host over on the fall podcast you can find us over there but that, that's about it man uh even on my my social media you know you'll find some hot stuff there but it's also family because you know for me family's always first and you know bull hunting second but it's it's just a mixture of kind of what my life looks like but pretty real nothing fake man well man i really appreciate you coming on here and kind of you know talking to us about the the scouting stuff but like the the history and and like kind of like what hunting means to you is 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 really what i wanted to get out of that and and i think that that is tremendous so thank you very much yeah man you bet it's it's uh it's had a good time on here man it's brought up some old memories and even you know even as much as i love i absolutely love chasing individual big bucks here in michigan you know this september i cannot wait for that first buck that walks out my my daughter shoots it I can't wait for my grandpa to call me on November 15th. Do not care one bit what he shoots. Zero care what he shoots. All I care is about when he calls me and we're going tracking and his smile. I mean, you're talking early 80s. He's still out there doing it. That's why, like, I I don't I don't care one bit what someone shoots. You want help tracking? Let me know because I will celebrate with anyone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>